Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to start a new series this week on the book of Colossians. Um, I kind of felt impressed earlier in the year that Colossians was going to be a book for us. Um, I didn't know when it was going to happen, and so when I kind of um, during my prayer time and thinking about it, just kind of felt like this is now the time to, to talk about it. And as I got into it, I realized just how unique this book is going to be when it applies to us as RCC and as the um, people who live in our current culture. And when we get into that, when we get into the message, you'll start to see some of that a little bit more. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Colossae. Now remember, um, Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. Romans is a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, here's a little curveball for you. See if you all know this one. Uh, the letter to um, of Thessalonians is to the city of uh, Thessalonica. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, nice. Y'all are with me. Um, the letter of um, Philippians is to the church in the book of Philemon is to Philemon. Philemon. Ah, I threw a curveball at you. You got that one. That's not a city. That's a guy's name. Yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, Phil, the city of Phil. No, it's, it's Philemon. <clears throat> so when he's writing this letter to the church, I want to stop right here and define something for us pretty, um, pretty early on. And I think a lot of us might have this idea, but we live in a culture that when it says the church, we typically don't think of what the church really is. So a little bit more participation here, if you guys know the answer to this question. I'm going to throw it out here to us. Uh, what is the church? What is the church? We're saying that he wrote a letter to the church in this city. What is the church? The what? The congregation. The people. The body, right? Okay, perfect. This is how I know there's believers in the room who have read scripture because most people who when they say the church that are not believers and they talk about the church or how they were hurt by the church or the, the church hurt people or did something wrong, what they're typically talking about is the organization. They're talking about the 501c3 nonprofit you know, organization that's registered with the state and with the government, the federal government. It has a pastor, a board, a, you know, you know uh, staff positions. It's a legal entity. Most people, when they're not believers and when, when they're young believers when, in our culture, think that the church is this entity. That is not right. The church is you. If you are a believer in Christ, the church is you. So the first line in your notes is this. The church is the body of believers in Christ. The church is the body of believers in Christ. <clears throat> if you are a believer in Jesus, this next line applies directly to you. We are the church. We are the church. This means, okay, this means that you cannot come to church. You cannot come to church because you are the church. You did not come to church tonight. The church gathered together in this home tonight so let me give you an example um so if i was to look at just a big 
you know, group of birds flying in the air, okay? And um, I'm from Florida, so I think of seagulls, and a group of them are a flock of seagulls, all you 80s and 90s children in the house. Um, there you go, you see the <laughs> lot of hair, yeah. Um, so if there's a flock or a group of seagulls flying somewhere, do I say, when they're all together, they're going to bird? No, because no, that doesn't make any sense. How do they go to themselves? They don't. You don't go to bird. The birds are gathering. The church is you, and the church gathers. You don't come to church. You come to our gathering. You come to a fellowship. You come to a service. So if you said a church service, it's closer but we need to get out of the idea that I go to, that I'm a person that goes to church. No, you are the church. Anytime that you see a direction in scripture given to the church, it's given to you as believers. Not just me as a pastor or Nina as a leader who's trying to, you know, head up this particular local congregation and fellowship. It's not only that. We do have some things that are, that are lined out for us, standards we have to keep. But when it's talking about the church, it's talking about all y'all. So it's easy to go, oh, the church did that to me. Well, the church ain't a thing. You're the church. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so the church gathers together, encourages each other, prays for each other, looks out for one another, helps each other succeed in their personal and spiritual growth, and is taught the word of God together. So tonight we're not having church. The church is gathering together to encourage each other, to worship God, pray for each other, and learn about God. That's what the church is doing tonight. <clears throat> when you go to work, the church is going to work. When you go on vacation, the church is going on vacation. When you go to visit a family member, you go to a funeral, the church is going to the funeral. Because wherever you go, since you're the church, the church is showing up there. Everybody understand? <clears throat> um, when people who are outside the church, unbelievers, talk about the church they when they say the church did this they typically separate the church from the people who attend a church this is completely wrong you're not attending a church because you are the church again uh the birds are going to bird no it doesn't make any sense you're coming to church doesn't make any sense you are the church everybody understand that's a fundamental misunderstanding from people who are not believers and a lot of people who are believers so when Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, he's writing to who? The people who are Christ followers in that city. <clears throat> so we can sometimes think, well, the church does this, and I don't like that. Well, you don't like what you did then. Well, there's part of the people who make up the church who have a belief that I don't agree with. Okay, I understand that. But I want to make sure that we as a body of believers understand that because when we're reading this, he's not writing to the organization. He's not writing to the, the, to the entity. He's writing directly to the people who are dealing with things in their own life and their own culture. Okay? So as I was getting into that, I'm like, okay, we're going to redefine the church as, to start this message. Um, we need to pour some foundation before we get into the to the um to the series okay and when we start a series it's typically what happens here we pour 
uh, kind of like some understanding and some foundations that we're going to build upon a little bit later. So understanding what the real what the church is is one of those pieces of foundation. The next piece of foundation is a question I want to ask, and I thought about this during my study. If the believers in Rome, the believers in Colossae, the believers in Ephesus, the believers in Thessalonica, the believers in Rome, the believers everywhere, if they're all serving God, why didn't Paul write one letter over and over and over again, just copy it, and when somebody came into town, hey, I'm starting a church in my city, take this letter back to him. Why didn't he just write one? It all applies, right? It's still Jesus, the gospel, faith in him, following his commands. How come he wrote a specific letter to all these different cities, to all these different churches? Why did he write to each of them individually? Anybody have an idea? Sorry, what? Different things at different times, right. Let me take that one step further. Every culture has its own issues that you're dealing with. The principles that Paul talks about are similar throughout almost every one of his books, but the application and how to deal with certain specific issues or problems that the culture is kind of influencing on the church is specific to each different city. Next line in your notes, every city and culture has different issues that impact the residents. That's next line in your notes. Every city and culture has different issues that impact residents. Let me give you an example. Let's pretend that the Apostle Paul was alive today, and he's living in America. And he wants to write a letter to the church in Dallas. Okay? Think about what that letter would be like. Okay? Do you think the contents of that letter would be different than the letter that he wrote to the church in San Francisco? Yeah. Completely different. Do you think the, the letter, if he wrote a letter to the city, the church, the believers in the city of Atlanta, that it would be different than the, than the church, the believers that's gathering in Chicago? Why? Every place has its own unique set of circumstances, right? So he's not changing the principles, the foundation of the gospel. He's writing to each of them to say, look, you're dealing with this thing here in this city. So here's how I'm going to give you direction how to handle it. This city over here is dealing with a whole different problem. I think it was Corinthians. One of the ladies um, was, was um, one of the guys in the church was sleeping with his uh, stepmother. So he addresses it directly. That wasn't happening in, one, in the church in Rome. So he addressed it differently. You see what I mean? So he's writing different letters because there's different things going on at different times, different locations, and different cultures. So with that in mind, let's look at Colossae. Let's take a look at specifics about this city real quick as we develop a foundation for the series going forward for the next several weeks, okay? So these, here's a few facts about Colossae. The next, I think there's uh, nine bullet points in your notes that I'll go through really quickly. Colossae was located in our modern area, era of Turkey. <clears throat> Colossae was located in our modern area of Turkey. If you Google where was Colossae in the Bible, it'll drop a pin on a city inland in the nation of Turkey. Gives you an idea of where it is, okay? 
Here's something very interesting. Paul went on a bunch of missionary journeys. He started a bunch of churches. He wrote letters to them. But next line, the next bullet point for you, Paul never visited the Colossian church. Paul never went there. He never physically went to the Colossian church. When I found that out, my next question was, so how did he know what was going on there? Next line, a man named Epaphras. I'll spell it for you. E-P-A-P-H-R-A-S. E-P-A-P-H-R-A-S. A man named Epaphras started this church and Colossae was his hometown. So Epaphras gets saved, witnesses to other people, they get saved, and they start meeting together and they establish the church in Colossae. Okay, next line, or next, next bullet point. Paul and Timothy are, taught, are, are thought to be in Rome when this letter is written and are receiving updates about the Colossian church through Epaphras. Epaphras hears the gospel from somewhere, goes to his hometown, preaches the gospel. These guys get saved. He starts a church. He hears that Paul is in Rome, and so he goes, I'm going to go help Paul on our behalf and talk to him about what's going on here. And so he travels there and tells Paul about what's going on in his particular area. Okay? Now, this is a, a good thing for us where we are right now, this next bullet point. Some biblical scholars believe the Colossian church was a home church at the time this letter was written. What does that mean? The body of believers were gathering in a home to worship God, pray for each other, encourage each other, and learn about his word. The same thing that happened at the beginning of the church is happening right now here minus the live stream right <clears throat> and lights and air conditioning thank god for the ac right <clears throat> and ipads and watches you get the idea the same gathering of believers is happening there and here today okay next line Colossae was once a very influential city in the nation of phrygia i'm sure i pronounced that wrong but that's what it's going to be today uh, however the nation of Phrygia was eventually absorbed into another nation. So Colossae was influential in this nation. The nation was overrun by a larger nation. It was conquered. And they're like, man, you're not even going to keep your own identity anymore. You're just going to be us. We're just going to take over. <clears throat> so when that happened, Colossae lost its influence. And the other cities that conquered it, they were the things that became influential in this area, okay? So it used to be prominent, used to be influential. It's not anymore. Everybody used to think in that area, what's going on in Colossae? Not anymore. There's other places that they can look to. Because of this, next line, Colossae is considered the least influential city to whom Paul had written a letter. <clears throat> Colossae is considered the least influential city to whom Paul wrote a letter. It doesn't mean it didn't have in, any influence. It just meant that it was small. People really didn't pay a lot of attention to it. So it didn't have a lot of influence in their region, okay? Now, we have to understand one last thing about Colossae. Okay, it was steeped in a toxic blend of religious ideas. Okay, next bullet point for you. The religious people of the time blended beliefs from Judaism 
and philosophical pagan Gentile beliefs. Pagan Gentile beliefs. Pagan simply means other gods, false gods other than the one true God. Anything outside of him is pagan. Any worship of another thing, another entity, another spirit is considered pagan. <clears throat> so about 25 years ago, just after I was born, um, about 25 years ago, I was watching an uh, a interview um, of, a, of a Catholic priest on television, and he worked with a lot of young people who were in my age group at that time. And uh, the interviewer asked him a question and said, can you tell us what the beliefs are of the young people today that you're dealing with? And he goes, yes, it's a mix of everything. They take the life of Buddha, some of the teachings of Muhammad, some of the teachings of Krishna, they sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus in there, turn on the blender, and what they pour out is a cocktail of new belief. <clears throat> this was obviously true because it's grown into something more today. People in our culture are gathering a whole bunch of things from other religions. They've, they're, they're starting to, to, not starting to, they've effectively merged in the, the mysticism of Hinduism. They've merged in the um, uh, stuff from Jainism. They've merged in a lot of these Gnostic ideas, and we'll talk about what those are a little bit later. And so the culture that's going on in Colossae is very similar to the culture that we're dealing with now. Very similar. We got people who are like, oh, the Bible can't be real. That's not real. I got something else. This is a new thing. We've evolved past that old archaic book. Let me just put this new twist on it. This is what this really means, and they add things to it. This belief has become this hybrid belief in most of our culture. They want to be cool with everything, so they get everybody touched. So it's like, we're all together, man. And that similar thing was happening in Colossae. The scholars indicate that the beliefs of the Colossian people were similar to the New Age, new spirituality beliefs in our Western culture today. If you missed the first RCC summer school on New Age and New Spirituality, come find me and I'll send you um, the, the copy of that message that teaches about everything that's being blended together today and pushed in the church. But, so some of those beliefs included, I'm going to just talk about five real quick. Gnosticism. Now, you've probably heard me say this word before. Um, yeah, the G is silent. I don't know why it's like that, but I didn't make the word, right? But Gnosticism. <clears throat> People who are Gnostics believe that they have secret spiritual knowledge that is given to them when they elevate their spiritual consciousness to a new level. They believe that they understand things that other people don't understand that's not in the Bible. They've been giving more additional things. They also believe anything material is evil. So if you have a car, a house, uh, a chair, uh, a fan, anything material that you own is evil. That's what the Gnostics believe. And then they also believe the opposite of that is that anything spiritual is good. So they didn't care if they were dabbling with other spirits or 
doing weird spiritual things because the spiritual was good, the material was bad. Okay, that's one part of their belief they blended together. The second was angel worship. It was a belief that angelic beings, not God, created the world and mankind and also talked currently to mankind. There's a very prevalent church that's in our culture today who talks about, um, the leaders talk about how they pray to the angels that are dressed, I'm not kidding, long hair, shirtless, tight pants, and boots. They say the angel, that angel appears to them and talks to them, and they credit the angel for their insight. That describes a wrestler I used to watch as a kid, not an angel, right? So there, there's a belief that these angels have just spun off from God and created the world, and now they're interacting with people because human beings are divine, not like when a guy looks at his girlfriend or his wife and goes, she's divine. Not like that. And it's not a play on the scripture, I am divine, you are the branches. Dad joke. Um, <laughs> Darius is just rolling his eyes at me. Thank you, man. He's like, oh, this is terrible, bro. Um, <clears throat> so uh, not that. They literally believe that human beings are godlike. Jesus didn't come to save us from our sins. He came as an ascended master to show us how to tap into our inner divinity. That you are godlike. Okay? Essenism. These guys believed in communal living. They dedicated themselves to poverty, which makes sense with the Gnostic belief the material stuff is bad. But they also did daily meditations to become one with the universe. Sound familiar? Anything going on today? Yeah? A lot of it. Aestheticism. Extreme self-denial for religious purposes. I'm not talking about like fasting for a couple of days. I'm talking about rejecting everything that makes sense in the name of God. They also, because they're divine and they're godlike and they're elevating themselves, they endorsed selfish impulses like sexual immorality and fleshly impulses were encouraged. Why? Because you're a God, man. Let your inner divinity touch another person's inner divinity and we'll be out here with nothing and worship the spirits. Like all this weird hybrid blend of nonsense is what they believe. And it sounds like our culture, which has this weird hybrid blend of nonsense that people are trying to present to us. These beliefs were starting to make their way into the church. What does that mean? How do those beliefs make their way into the church? Anybody? How do those beliefs make their way into the church? I'm sorry? The people conform to those beliefs. See what I mean? Why that's important not to just go, well, the church is kind of falling for that nonsense. No, people who call themselves believers are now falling for the nonsense. <clears throat> Next sign in your notes. The cultural pressure on the church has always existed. The cultural pressure on the church has always existed. This letter was written about 30 to 35 years after Jesus um, was crucified. This is in the way beginning stages of the church. 
And here today, we're dealing with the same problem. It may be a newer phenomenon for us. It may be something that we have not experienced it before, but it just because we haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's new. It's an old trick on a new group of people. So let's sit with that for a second. And here's what I mean. How many of us in this room have ever said or felt this, maybe not out loud, but ever felt like, what is going on? Things are getting out of control in our world, in our country, in the church, online. These people are doing stuff never been done before. These people are saying things I've never heard said before. What are we going to do? This thing spiraling out of control. These things are, are they're getting me worried. How can anyone survive in a scenario like this? What am I going to do about my kids? What am I going to do about my grandkids? What am I going to do about my own belief? Anybody ever had those worries before? Yeah? Anybody ever had them worries before? I was convinced at one point in time in my life that Nina and I had experienced a wound in a way that had never been seen. I think I actually told her many times, I don't have anybody to talk to about this because no one has gone through this anywhere. Now, that can be arrogant or ignorant or both, but that's a, that's a deadly combination. Because what it allowed me to do when I was convinced that nobody else had been through the hurt and wound and problem that I had been through, it allowed me to remain in the pit of my victimhood. It allowed me to stay there. Because no one could help me. No one could talk to me. No one experienced that kind of pain. Nobody experienced that kind of betrayal. Nobody was stole from like that. No one was bad mouthed like that. No one had that never happened in that scenario. You may have had a piece or two happen, but it all came down on me and I was hurt by it. But what helped me was when I realized, wait a minute, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people who have gone through almost the exact same thing but we were all afraid to say something out of our mouths and it left us in isolation. The encouraging thing for you, if you have this fear in your heart, what am I gonna do? This is terrible. How are we gonna survive? You know, I, got my, um, I used to be able to get away from the nonsense. Now I carry it in on my cell phone with me all night. I used to be able to protect my home and my kids in my home, but I can't do that anymore because now I have the, the influence never, stu never stops. The people who say stupid stuff and have dumb beliefs and, and ignorant, um, ignorant uh, um, arguments for uh, the, the trying to you know, destroy Christianity. I used to get away from it and be able to protect in my house. But now with this and every other device that's in our hands, it's here 24-7. Now, it may not have been as saturated then as it is now. But the problems were the same then as they are now. It is, I'm trying to tell you, you are not alone. The struggle you're facing is not new. It is not exclusive to you. It is not something no one else has been through. And if you allow yourself to believe that you are the only one who's been through this, or there's only a handful of people, and I haven't met any of them yet, then you're going to allow yourself to remain isolated, and you are going to stagnate and become bitter and hurt. 
it's not just you. People navigated through craziness. They navigated through it just like we will navigate through it because the God that was present for them is the God that is present for us and the eternal principles that has been given to them directly from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has been captured and given to us as well. Do not be worried about how you're going to make it through. This is not the insurmountable thing that God doesn't know how to conquer. It's the same thing that happened at the beginning of the church that happened today. We are not alone. <clears throat> we have to be careful not to allow the culture to put its fingerprint on us in a way that causes us to live dishonorable towards God and gives us excuses for ignoring God's word. We've defined the church. We've talked about why the, the letter of the, uh, was written specifically to Colossae. We've talked about us not being alone. And then the, the fourth little piece I want to build as a foundation here before we actually read Colossians is this. Next on your notes. The first two chapters of Colossians are focused on doctrine. Doctrine. And the last two are focused on application. The first two chapters of Colossians are focused on doctrine, and the last two are focused on application. Now, when you hear words that are like theological, doctrine, I don't want your eyes to glaze over or you to, you know, to kind of kind of pull back and be like, I don't know what the big word means. All it is is a word to describe something. They, they use a summary word to describe something that would take a little bit of time to, to, to explain. Theology is the study of God. If you have bad theology, you did bad study about God. Pretty simple, right? So what is doctrine? Let's define it here. There's two definitions um, that I put here in your notes. Letter A, a principle or body of principles presented for acceptance or belief. Letter B, teachings, instructions, and principles. What word is repeated three times in those definitions? Principles. Doctrine are the principles, not the rules. They are the principles we are to live by. The rules have been torn down. The principles have been elevated. Let me give you a difference. Explain the difference real quick between a rule and a principle. A rule says... If you eat one more cookie, I am going to come over there and stomp on your little toe as hard as I can. I don't know, something like that, right? There's a, there's a hey, don't do this. It's behavior-based. But a principle is this. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you just, you just said it. The principle is heart-based. The rule is behavior-based. If we only work on the behaviors, the heart can stay corrupt. 
I am a living example of this. This is what I did all of my years in church. I worked on the behaviors and doing the right thing and saying the right thing, but my heart was eaten up with anger and jealousy and lust and vengeance and hatred and all of that. We're not supposed to be living by the rules. We're supposed to be living by the principles. So what that means next to, there's a one, uh, there's a two word statement. The next line in your notes is this, doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. <clears throat> the rule is not to love because how do you do that? Well, when I show love to my neighbor who borrowed my rake or shovel and never returned it, how do I show love? Do I show compassion or do I go over there and start throwing things through his window, cussing them out? Give me my thing back, you thief. Or do I be like, hey, man, you probably forgot. My other neighbor who starts talking bad about me to the other neighbors. I don't like this guy. He does this. We had an old neighbor in our old neighborhood who was convinced we were uh, drug dealers because we, had, we traveled a lot and cars would come and pick us up in the middle of the night and take us to the airport and stuff so we could go fly. And they found out we were like doing ministry. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. But so there are these principles, but if somebody's talking, it's not that the rule is I got to go love them. No, the principle. Let me explain through a heartfelt explanation what's going on and let me deal with you from the principle of loving somebody. That's not a rule. It's a principle. Those principles matter. Doctrine matters. So what we just did is built four pillars for this entire series that we're going to build upon as we go in the next several weeks. We're going to build two little things on top of them right now, but those pillars are, what is the church? Why did Paul write letters specifically to Colossae? Don't be discouraged because you're dealing with something that you think no one else has it's already god's already helped other people through it and we have the gift of his word to show us how to survive it and that doctrine matters that from that foundation right there we're going to build the series so we're going to read the first eight verses of colossians i'll read them out loud you can just follow along in your hearing <clears throat> i'm going to read them out loud and then we're going to talk about two points real quick and then we'll be done colossians 1 Verses 1 through 8. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, excuse me, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved from you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. 
He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Two things I want to draw our attention to real quick before we wrap up. Number one, our life speaks. Our life speaks. This is true. If you didn't know it was true, if you don't want it to be true, or you don't like that it's true, it's still true. Your life speaks. Here's what I mean. Everything you say, everything you do, how you react in certain situations, how you talk, how you deal with anger, how you handle frustration, how you show grace, how you pursue Christ, how you remain faithful, how you keep your word, speaks to the people around you. Let's go back to that, to the, the, the passage in Colossians, and let me show you why, <clears throat> why this is important. This is Paul talking, uh, this is Paul, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. You're dealing with a church, a gathering of believers who meets in a home. They're in a city that lost its influence. They're in a nation that's been absorbed and conquered by another nation. And it's just them. They're the least influential city that Paul writes to, yet still their faith reaches the ears of Paul. What they are doing, how they're loving people, how they're reacting, how they're following Jesus, the message of how they're living still traveled. No email, no text, no message, no DMs, no faxes, no Morse code, no telegram, no carrier pigeon. It still reached them the word of mouth of how they were living still reached Paul. Even though they were in the least influential city, even though they met in a church, they did not look and say, well, we don't have X, Y, or Z. We don't have a big meeting place. We don't have nine campuses around the city. We don't have any of that. There's nothing wrong with that. They are saying, I don't have any of that. They didn't pack it in because they, they were just, they didn't have all this big stuff. They still loved people as God instructed them to. They still served one another. They still gathered together. And their faith, their faith was still speaking to everyone around them. So much so that it reached Paul. Um, What you do as a believer in Christ and how you live speaks to everybody and when i say everybody i don't know if you're like me but my first thought is oh it speaks to the world the unbelievers uh but it speaks to your family too it speaks to your wife your husband it speaks to your kids it speaks to your friends it speaks to your co-workers everybody matt i don't want to do that man i don't have no real claim to fame I don't want to be the important guy. I want to stay out of the light. I want to just, um, I just want to work at my job. I sit in a cubicle. I only sit, I only see five people throughout the day. 
I only do Zoom calls with a handful of them, and that's just every couple days. I don't, no one sees me. I'm here by myself. I don't really want to. You are still, your life is still speaking to all of them, whether it's four, 400, 4,000, 4 million, how you live speaks, whether you want it to or not. Matt, I feel insignificant. Next line of your notes. There is no life too small that it cannot make an eternal impact for Christ. There is no life too small that it cannot make an eternal impact for Christ. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting a young man who was in his mid-20s. Um, young dude, good-looking, you know, like just looked like he put together, you know what I mean? So I asked him what his story was, started talking to him, and uh, he, he had been um, a few months away from being homeless for several years. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, what happened? Are you, you, know, you don't have any family or anything? He goes, oh no, I have my family. They live not too far where I was homeless from. And I said, why were you homeless? He's like, I chose to be out there. I got involved in the drug scene, every kind of drugs that were, you would give away, I would... I would take, I would do them, I would bum money from other people, I would, you know, I would, you know, um, I remember sitting by a tree and this one guy who was kept, keeps telling me every day, don't get off the drugs, man, the drugs are going to wreck your life. He said, I woke up one morning and the guy was, we had, I had fallen asleep on one side of the tree, the other guy had fallen asleep on the other side, I woke up and the guy was dead from an overdose. Two years he spent out on the streets, two years. And he said one day, after getting high, he was sitting there with nothing to do on a, on a bus stop bench. And this lady, an older lady, pulled up and said, young man, you don't belong out here. You don't belong out here. And I think we need to get you off these streets. And he said, okay. What are you going to do? Got in her car. She took him home, gave him a place to stay, fed him, and cared for him for the next several months. She was an older lady living by herself. And what did she do after she fed him and helped him get off the streets? Handed him a Bible. He was there for months. And he relapsed and kind of went crazy when at her home because he did drugs and came home or did drugs at her home one or the other and she didn't know how to handle it so he couldn't stay there anymore but he realized at that point there's people out here who do care and he spent seven months going to seven different rehabs getting clean getting on his feet reconciling with his family and starting his life over again because one lady, I don't even know her name, I probably never will know it, stopped on the way home and said, you don't belong out here. There's no life too small to make an impact. There is no act too small to make no impact. Every single one of us, every single thing we do speaks. 
it speaks. <clears throat> Number two and our last point for today. We must remain confident in our eternal hope. We must remain confident in our eternal hope. <clears throat> that same passage I just read to you, let me, let me read it to you, um, read the rest of it. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which, which, come, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Did you catch that? The faith they have and the love they have for all of God's people comes from where? The confident hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven. We know that being filled with the Holy Spirit, the first fruit of that is love. So what he's saying here is that there is a work of the Holy Spirit in you to show love, but there is also something that keeps your perspective right in moments of struggle. <clears throat> I heard this example this week during my study, and I thought this is the perfect way to explain this point. So I just totally ripped it right off. This is not original to me. I should have let you think it was, and you, but it's not. It totally isn't. I just told, I told on myself. Have you ever talked to somebody who's about to get married, like two weeks away from their marriage? You ever talk to somebody like that? Ever talk, and what are you doing? Man, how's your day? Well, my job, you know, somebody yelled at me. I got in trouble. This customer threw something at me. You know, my family's going nuts. You know, they want me to wear maroon instead of fuchsia, you know, whatever. You know, they're, they, this person don't want to come because they don't like me anymore because of something I said. And all the drama's going on with the family. All the drama's going on at work. And you look at him and be like, is that real? Because you don't look bothered by any of it. He goes, oh, it ain't none of it bothered me. Why? About to get married. He's not at all focused on them problems. That dude is focused on what? The honeymoon. You can't make me mad enough to get my mind away from where I want to go be. I'm here. I'm, we're going to go do the wedding. We're going to do the reception. And then me and my wife are going to get on a plane and we're going to fly to fill in wherever it is that you want the, the honeymoon to be. We're going to go there and we're going to introduce ourselves to each other, you know, throughout the time where they're going to go sit on a beach somewhere. We're going to eat good. We're going to have a big old time. It doesn't matter that all of these things are going wrong in this family's life and this the work life. It doesn't matter that there's struggles at this moment. Why? Because his mind is where? On where he's going to be soon. In a similar way, the encouragement for us is when we're dealing with life's issues, struggles, pushing back on the culture and the, the things that try to convince us to turn our hearts, our mind, our affections away from God when we're struggling or we're worrying or we're steeped in some type of, of moment of, I don't know if I can get out of this. Or, I'm overcome by this, 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 this moment, this, this, um, this, this worry, this struggle, this, this suffering at this moment. One of the things that we're supposed to do is realize, oh, this is temporary. You can't knock me off my pedestal at the moment because 
I'm thinking about where I'm going to be. There is a confident hope of what God has reserved for us to come. I used to think when people would say, oh, you know, keep your mind focused on heaven. I would think I'd look up in the stars and be like, it's up there somewhere. I don't know what it looks like. like a picture of a big gold chair and people in white robes and Jesus has a blue sash or something, you know, long flowing hair. And I'm thinking, how much does it think about that all the time? I'm not. I'm not supposed to put that weird, culturally impacted, Michelangelo-ish picture in my head. What I'm supposed to do is realize that the current struggles are nothing compared to the joy and the confident hope of eternal security that I have with God. Does it mean that your problems, your struggles, your worries go away? No. And the analogy, the young man who's getting married still has to deal with these issues, but they don't affect him in the way that they would earlier. Why? Because his mind is somewhere else. Part of the encouragement for us as believers is to keep our mind somewhere else. Doesn't mean ignore your problems, you still got to deal with them. But what happens when you take the problem that's overwhelming you and set it at the foot of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God? The problem that looked like this, all of a sudden in comparison to him, looks microscopic. Because there's nothing that he can't fix. It's about perspective. It's about Keeping your mind so focused on him, your heart, your attention, your affection, so focused on him that these problems that come up now don't overwhelm us to the point where, it get, where it'll just saturate us and weigh us down where we can't think past anything. Uh, we can't think any, any moment past right now will this hurt or suffering. We keep our mind there so that all this little stuff that happens here Temporary. Temporary. When the actions of others and the struggles of life weigh heavy on our soul, we should remember the promise of heaven and eternity that God has given to us. There's a passage in the New Testament that says, <clears throat> it's talking about Jesus, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy was set before him? Eternity with his father, reconciliation for all of mankind. Anyone who believes in him will be able to have their sins forgiven and, and be reconciled to God. He thought of all of his friends, all of his disciples, all the people that were following him, all the people that would follow him and would believe in him long after he had been uh, crucified, buried, and resurrected. Because of that joy, he endured some of the most horrible torture a human being can endure. He went through that because he was supposed to. It was his purpose, yes. But there was a joy that was beyond the suffering. There was a joy 
that was beyond the struggle. My encouragement for all of you today is to remember there is a joy, there is an eternal hope, there is a confidence in us that lasts beyond the suffering. In this world, you will have trials, you will have problems, you will have struggles, but take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Keep your perspective on him instead of the issue. Because when you realize what's on the other side, it makes dealing with the struggle a lot more manageable. Why don't you just take it away? There's some things that can be only, only be learned through pain. Some lessons can only be learned through struggle. And there's some of that he's trying to teach you, not so you achieve some level that everyone else doesn't, so you can turn around to the next one who's struggling and go, keep your perspective. There's eternal hope. Deshae? There's hope. To you? Doesn't matter what the struggle is. There's eternal confidence and hope. James, my brother. Doesn't matter what the struggle is. There's a hope on the other end of it. Mert's family. Doesn't matter what the struggles are. There's a hope on the other end of it. And it's not just because we go flowery hope and all of that. Oh, it'll just get better because it'll work out how it's supposed to. No, it's garbage. There's a God who cares about every single one of you. And there is a confident hope, Darius, as a believer in him on the other side of a struggle. So any struggle, take it to him. It becomes very small in light of him and allow him to do with that struggle what he needs to do in you. If you leave, if you walked in here today or you're a part of RCC and you feel lonely and isolated and you leave feeling lonely and isolated, it's because you did not accept the gift of the church that is supposed to be looking out for one another that God has given you. Speak up, go to coffee. Call somebody, have a conversation, sit here until 10 o'clock at night. I don't care. As long as you are connecting on some, uh, you're connecting with each other to encourage each other, to build one another up, to make you realize you are not by yourself. It will not allow you to sit in that the whole of victimhood. It will not allow you to, um, to just feel like I'm the one that's dealing with this with no help. You have been given help through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given help through his word and you've been given help through each other. I want to encourage you. Do not stay isolated. Do not withdraw. Do not try to, 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 to keep yourself just by yourself. Do not reject the gift of the other people that God has given to us. And that goes for me too. There is hope in the struggle for everybody.